The scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then 11 through 32. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. This is a prayer from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Blessed Lord, you have caused your word to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear it and inwardly digest it, that by patience and the comfort your word provides, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, well, we're beginning this morning a brief series on gospel culture, which I've titled A Culture of Grace. And you may be wondering, what is gospel culture? Well, there's a a relatively new podcast. It's a couple years old now. It's called You're Not Crazy. I like that podcast just for the title alone. It's good to hear. Um, And uh, it's hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry. They're a couple pastors and... in, in our, our orbit, if you will. The theme of that part, podcast has largely been the theme of gospel culture. And here's the thing I like about it. They, they connect the preaching and the teaching of gospel doctrine and the cultivation of gospel culture in a very important way. So first, some definitions. What is gospel doctrine? Gospel doctrine can be defined as the biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving. The biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving. God, through his perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus, rescues people from the wrath of God into the peace with God with a promise of full restoration of the created order, all to the praise of his glorious grace. That is gospel doctrine, the biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving. Gospel culture is the shared experience of divine grace for the undeserving. And the two must go together. The proclamation of gospel doctrine must lead to the expression of gospel culture. Or to quote Ray Ortland from the podcast, gospel culture is what gospel doctrine looks like in practice. It's how people experience gospel doctrine in community. Now, by God's grace, this is an area of relative strength for our church. I remember when we first came uh, and visited Grace, when I was coming to candidate to be lead pastor here, almost 15 years ago, 15 years ago next month, um, one of the things that struck uh, Wendy and I when we worshiped with you all Um, was really, you know, two things. One, just the way the worship service is structured, the richness of, you know, um, of the liturgy and and the worship, and then the warmth of welcome, not just for us. I mean, of course, you're gonna welcome us kindly. We were like the visitors for that day. But just the way in which, you know, I'm watching you in that moment, the way in which I'm seeing this church welcome one another. It was very clear this church loves one another. And so I said to Wendy, if they don't hire me, let's move to Rochester. Because that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And so by God's grace, that's that's happening here to a degree. But the Bible gives us such a picture of gospel culture that really blows the doors off of even the, the very good thing that we, by God's grace, have here at Grace Church. Think about Romans 15:7. Paul in Romans 15:7 says this, "Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God." Just think about that verse. If you think about our, our welcome ministry, if you will, which, you know, we all need to realize we're all on the welcome ministry team all the time. There's not just this separate welcome ministry that is the people at the door. But 
but think about the way in which we, we welcome one another. It's warm. But Paul would say, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What would that look like, not just on Sunday morning, but as it gets pushed out into, massaged into the culture that is Grace Church? We're going to look at that text next week. But for the next six weeks, gospel culture. The shared experience of divine grace for the undeserving. So then the next question you may be asking is, what does this parable have to do with gospel culture? And for that, I need to go back to the beginning of my vacation uh, at the beginning of July. First of all, it was a blessing to be able to use all my vacation at once instead of spread out throughout the entire year. And uh, it was going to be something of a staycation, right? I mean, we we're going to go visit our daughter in D.C., but, but mainly, you know, my goal during this time was to you know, kind of reinvigorate some, some rhythms in my life that had gotten all out of whack, you know, physical health and spiritual rhythms. Uh, the goal was to do some reading, uh, do some kayaking with Wendy, and uh, go visit our daughter in D.C., but I also had a list. A long list of things that I wanted to get done on the house. And on day one, Wendy looked at me and said, put away the list. Put away the list. We're, we're going to kayak. We're going to go visit our daughter in D.C. But this needs to be a time in which you focus on your heart before the Lord. So it wasn't really a staycation. It was more like a mini sabbatical. It was a stay-cabatical. Invented that word. That's what happened over the month of July. And it was awesome. So I just want to, you know... Paul says in Romans 15, 7, I think it is, honor, outdo one another in showing honor. That's a command in the Bible. So I just want to honor my wife. You know, that insistence on her part that I not tackle the list has made me a better pastor for you. Uh, I'm also thankful I had an opportunity while on break to connect with a coach. This was a, a guy who was actually my church planting coach before we moved here. He's retired from pastoral ministry, the pastor of his church. He's moved into a, a more general coaching uh, ministry, and I was able to connect with him. We've, we've stayed in touch over, you know, these 15 years, but to really establish a more formal relationship with him. And the first thing he did was encourage me to spend some time meditating on this passage on this parable. And so I did. And God, in his mercy, really brought me a great deal of renewal as I considered from this passage his welcoming heart even for people like me. And as God helped me see how, in fact, this passage very much connects with gospel culture. In fact, it is the ideal text to begin a series on gospel culture with. So, two things we're going to look at in the, in the time that we have left. First of all, I want us to see from this text that the Father's heart is open wide to every sinner who repents. The Father's heart is open wide to every sinner who repents. And then secondly, the Father's house is open wide to all who will enter his joy. 
Father's house is open wide to all who will enter his joy. So first, the Father's heart is open wide to every sinner who repents. Now look, you know, glance back at verses 1 and 2 real quick. Two groups of people who are present to hear these, this series of three parables. We're only looking at the last one. But two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes. They're both there. The tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes are grumbling. In their hearts, they're kind of moving away from Jesus. So Jesus tells these three parables. Both of those groups of people would have been present. The tax collectors and sinners would have been greatly encouraged by what they heard Jesus saying. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were grumbling. So, you know, these are our this is our audience. This is Jesus' audience. And both types of people are here this morning. Both younger brother types who have left the father's side and run as far away as they could, and older brother types who have stayed home, stayed near, gone to church every Sunday, but their heart has been far from the Lord. Now, I want you to resist trying to place yourself entirely in one category or the other. You may have a proclivity toward one over the other, but do realize that we, all of us, are both at given moments, depending on circumstances and what's going on in our heart. So both of what's happening, both what's happening to the younger brother and what's happening to the older brother applies to each one of us in various ways at different times. So in other words, listen to the whole thing. Don't check out when I do the other brother that you think isn't you, because it's all, all of us. All right, so let me, let's jump over to verses 11 through 16. Let's take a look real quick. I'll read back through it. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. So, you know, both members, both groups are now being addressed. Man who had two sons, and the younger of of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This younger son did not want to wait for his father to die to receive his share of of the estate. In a patriarchal society like this and a shame honor culture like this for the younger brother the younger son to go to his father and ask for his share of the inheritance now would have been akin to saying dad I wish you were dead and yet the father in the parable gives his son his share of the estate it would have been one third half of what the older brother would have gotten the younger brother would have gotten so one third of the total estate would have been given to the younger brother he converted it to cash and he took that and he headed far away now these people listening to Jesus tell this parable probably would have imagined that he was talking about the Decapolis as the far country to which the younger brother went that isn't essential for applying the tax and getting the point, but, but you know, the Decapolis was a Gentile region, fairly cosmopolitan region. It was a great place where, you know, a, a Jewish boy could go and get lost and lose everything. 
hit rock bottom, and that's exactly what he did. He hired himself out to work for a Gentile pig farmer. Gentiles and pigs, both unclean to Jewish people. And all his so-called friends deserted him. Now, let's jump back. Look at verse 17 through the first part of verse 20. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now stop there. The, the younger brother came to his senses and he came back to the father's house, house with two presumptions and a plan. Two presumptions and a plan. First presumption, I've lost all claim to sonship. I, I will no longer be considered a son to this man who is my father. Second presumption, by being treated like a hired servant, perhaps I can repay what I've lost. And the plan, then... Go back to dad and say, treat me as a hired servant. But then look at the second half of verse 20 through verse 24. He rose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father shatters all expectations. He could have driven his younger son away with blows. He could have sent him away with nothing but the clothes on his back. Instead, he gave him his share of the estate and then he was watching for his return. Can you picture it? I mean, just, 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 just picture a house, right? Don't think about a, a tent or, or whatever. Just picture a house with a window. And the father's looking. Or picture a porch on the front of that house and the father's just out there looking a long way off. When will my son come home? And when he saw him, he ran. He showered him with grace. He put the ring back on his finger, a ring that probably had a seal that indicated it was a seal of his being a member of the family. He restored his sonship. Not that it was ever lost in the father's heart. He would and would forever be my son. Now, let me ask you, when are you like the younger brother? Is it only when you've lived or if you've lived a wild and reckless life? Are you only the younger brother if you've gone off into the far country and squandered everything and hit rock bottom? No. No. Whenever you look for unconditional love anywhere other than God, you have left the Father's side. Every time you look for unconditional love anywhere other than God, 
You have left the Father's side. What are you really longing for when you fall into the arms of a person to whom you aren't married? What is it that you're really longing for when you open the bottle, or you plunge the needle, or you fire up the computer late at night? What is it that you're really longing for when you won't put the work away ever? Or when you compromise your your standards, your very character at school in order to be in the in crowd. It is not ultimately the release, the high, the approval, the acceptance that we're looking for in moments like that. It's the embrace. It's the embrace of the Father in this parable. It's the gladness of the Father to see you again. It's those two words spoken with tenderness and love and joy that that make all the cares of the world melt away. My son, my daughter, are you in the far country this morning? Maybe you're not a Christian, you're here, you've been living that kind of reckless life. Or maybe you're not a Christian, you're here because you've been trying to live a fastidious, morally upright life. And you find yourself in both ways of living lost. Or maybe you're here, you've been a Christian your entire life. And you have run off seeking, seeking, you know, love in all the wrong places. Or you're weary because you've been trying to merit something that God has given you in his son entirely by grace. Come to your senses. Come to your senses, but come all the way to your senses. Life in the Father's house is any, better than anything you'll ever find anywhere else. But do not think that you have to earn your way back into the Father's house, back into God's favor. His favor for his children is bound up in his son. His love for Jesus is his love for all those who are by faith in Jesus, united with him. There's no earning your way back into God's good graces. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had lost its crimson stain, right? Jesus paid it all. Come all the way back into the Father's embrace. Don't hold him at a distance and say, wait, I've got a plan. Treat me as something other than your child. Remember, the Father cut the Son off, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Zip! The Father in the parable says, quick. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the fattened calf. Before the younger brother could unfold his plan for earning his way back into God's favor, God said, no, I welcome you entirely by grace. God's heart is open, wide open, toward every sinner who repents. 
But second, the Father's house is open wide to all who will enter his joy. The Father's house is open wide to all who will enter his joy. Take a look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now remember verses 1 and 2. Two groups, two, audience, two people in the audience, two kinds of people, the older brother and the younger brother. The older brother representing the Pharisees and the scribes. Grumbling. And here in the parable, the older brother's grumbling. When is it that you grumble and refuse to enter into the Father's joy? We do, right? We do. Is it when somebody's getting some blessing that you really feel like you deserve? I mean, you're, you're glad for them to be blessed, but what about me? Where's my blessing? When somebody else gets the glory or the credit or the money or the health, the favor, do you ever grumble? I, I don't think I'm the only one. And when we do, in those moments, we are actually resisting an invitation from our Heavenly Father to experience something of His joy over sinners who repent. Now, you may be thinking, I'm thrilled when sinners repent. I, I love to see prodigals come home. Of course, I'm filled with joy over that, but actually enter into the Father's joy? How could I experience any of the Father's joy? Here is how, my dear brothers and sisters. Remember, this series of parables is for both groups. So in the first parable that we didn't talk about, the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says to everyone who is listening, but primarily to the Pharisees and scribes, a shepherd lost his sheep. He went after the one and left the 99 behind. And when he found that sheep, the shepherd said to everyone around him, rejoice with me. Enter into my joy, for my sheep that was lost has been found. And in the second parable is a parable of a, a woman who had lost a coin. And she turned over the house, and when she found that coin, she said to those around her, Rejoice with me, because this coin of mine was lost and now it's found. And then in the parable of the prodigal sons, because they were both prodigals, one had run away, the other had stayed home, but both had hearts that were distant from God. Both had left home in that sense. In this parable, Jesus says, God is the Father who comes out for both. In other words, if the, if the scribes and the Pharisees were really listening, they would have heard Jesus putting them in the category of the lost sheep. 
and the lost coin and the lost son. Putting Jesus in the category of saying, my father who sent me rejoices whenever any sinner repents. Those who have left and run far away and those who have stayed home but held God at arm's length. Whenever any sinner repents, older brother, younger brother alike, God can't contain his joy. He can't. Rejoice with me, God says. Enter into my joy. That's the invitation into the Father's house for all who will enter his joy. Now, this parable ends with a cliffhanger. There have been some great cliffhangers on TV, movies, right? Anybody remember the show 24? Jack Bauer, CTU, right? President Palmer, the dude who was the Allstate guy. You're in good hands, right, President Palmer? Right. Remember the end of season two. Season finale of season two, Mandy the assassin appears out of nowhere, She's got a poison glove on her hand. She, she is listening, you know, listening to President Palmer give this uh, the press conference, and then she shakes his hand afterwards. You're like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just, you know, it's a cliffhanger, right? Poison on the glove, shakes the president's hand. She pulls off the glove, walks away. The president collapses and dies, and then you got to wait nine months to see what happens next. Or Sherlock. PBS version of Sherlock. Season two finale of that show. Sherlock is standing on the roof of St. Bartholomew's Hospital. His last confrontation with Moriarty. Watson's down on the ground. Sherlock jumps off St. Bart's. Watson sees it happen, but then he gets hit by a bike and he gets kind of dazed and knocked out. And then when he comes to, he sees Sherlock's body being carried away. Everybody's like, I am totally queuing this up on Netflix when I get home. Carries Sherlock's body away. And, and then the next thing you see is, is, is uh, Watson at Sherlock's grave saying, I wish you were alive. I wish you were alive. And then there's that, that figure from behind a tree looking at the scene. And you're like, is that Sherlock? Is that Moriarty? Who is that? Cut to credits. Ugh. Listen, this, at the end of this parable, is the greatest cliffhanger of all. Life hangs in the balance for these scribes and Pharisees. This is really one of the only, if not the only, times in Scripture that Jesus is clearly presenting the gospel to scribes and Pharisees. And we don't know whether the older brother enters in or not. That's purposeful. It's left open so that we can put ourselves in that place. Just as the scribes and the Pharisees in the first century hearing this parable were invited to put themselves in the place of the older brother, we can put ourselves in that place and ask the question, will I go in? Will I go in? Now, you ask the question, what does that have to do with gospel culture? Again, the Father is saying, rejoice with me. All of you who are sinners, over whom I rejoice when you repent, I want you to come together into my house and rejoice together with me. What is gospel culture? 
the shared experience of divine grace for undeserving sinners. Where's it happening? In the Father's house. Who's it for? Everyone. Everyone. Every sinner who will repent and enter in gets to join the party. All are invited into a culture marked, listen, marked by a palpable sense of wonder at the gospel, where, where, where each of us at some fundamental level is saying, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm here, but it's true. The Father's loved me. He's, he's welcomed me into his house. And where there's a gospel culture, people are looking at each other and going, what, you too? It's amazing. At some fundamental level, that's the vibe that characterizes the church where gospel culture is being formed. The Father's heart is open wide to every sinner who repents. The Father's house is open wide to all who will enter his joy. We sang Amazing Grace just a moment ago. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. It's such a familiar hymn, right? Have you ever noticed that up until the last verse, it's all first-person singular? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And then you get to the last verse, and it changes to second-person singular. Is that right? Having a grammar flake-out moment here. <laughs> we! It becomes we! When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The joy of gospel culture, a shared experience of grace for the undeserving, it will go on forever. World without end, amen, amen. But by God's grace, we get a little foretaste of it now. Will you enter in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this story. Lord Jesus, that, that your son, that, that you spoke on, on earth, Lord, that we might know the heart of the Father, a heart filled with mercy toward all those who would repent. Pray, O oh Jesus, that you would help us to take these truths to heart. It would help us to return to the Father whom you so lovingly and perfectly displayed to us and continue to do through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.